You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for choosing us. This week, I'm here to share with you my conversation with PC music affiliate and global pop producer, Danny L. Hall. The album is very much the music of Hallcore the Night. I often wrote like before I went on stage at one of these nights. And before this album came out, the only place you could really hear it is either at one of these nights or at a recording of one of these nights. So it is quite a like authentic record of this real culture that was happening. Starting out as a classically trained musician, Danny embraced his affections for hardcore and pop and has become a much sought after producer with high profile credits on records for Charlie XCX and Carly Rae Jepsen. His new album for Mad Decent, titled Harlcore, draws together Danny's euphoric raving experiences in the form of an interactive online nightclub where the party never ends. We spoke about the virtual universe he's created to house this new release, about the record shop manager who inspired Danny's broad musical taste, and of his respect for the supercharged genre of Machina. There is also a video version of this interview on RA's YouTube, if you prefer to see the two of us in vision. Uh, But whichever way you take in this podcast, I hope that you have a wonderful listen to Danny L. Hall on The Exchange. Hello, Danny L. Hall. Thank you for joining us on RA's Exchange. Hello. Cool background, by the way. What can we see behind you? You. Thank you. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's just there. It's not a Zoom background. It's just what's there already. So I'm just, I'm very lucky. It just happens to be there that I started filming. <laughs> um, would you be able to set the scene for everyone? What has today had so far in store for you? And where are you right now? I'm in my studio. I've been uh, remixing Paul Elstack's track, Rainbow High in the Sky, a classic track, which in Holland is a lot of people's sort of guilty pleasure track that you would play at the end of a night in the way that, I guess, Spice Girls is the equivalent here. Um, At the end of a night uh, in in, in Holland, you might get people playing this one. It's got a very, very, like, hard dance sort of gabberish sort of like uh, sort of uh, kick drum going through it's very fast it's got an incredibly euphoric kind of uh, synth line in it it's got amazing lyrics uh, i want to see a rainbow high in the sky i want to see you and me on a bird flying away very much my kind of thing and uh <laughs> yes and i was very privileged to have some mc boying uh rapping um to hand that i could put over it um that i could layer on top of it um, mm. And uh, so that's something that b- might be making an appearance at some point. Okay, good to know. Um, well, we're going to be hearing all about MC Boying later on. Um, but I'm kind of imagining your new record isn't just about, you know, the sonics and the music itself. You've kind of generated this entire universe that sits around the album with visuals and so many beautifully detailed stories and characters like MC Boying. Um, 
I'd like to know if you can recall the first time you were like truly deeply immersed in the world of a story, like when you were first captured by the world of an artist. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Zelda uh, Majora's Mask, the video game. Okay, that makes um, sense. Very confused uh, sort of young teenager. Um, there wasn't really a kind of understanding that video games could be an emotional thing in, in the sort of like culture that I was brought up in. Obviously, the people who made that game were very aware that that could be the thing and were embracing it as a medium, um, the sort of production company. But uh, yeah, no, it's just that th th there's an amazing kind of synergy of music and visuals and story that just kind of like re that, that just managed to kind of really, I guess, manipulate me emotionally and uh, believe these things were real and felt things and i yeah it was incredible just the way it plays with the relationship between music and memory and the music so amazingly crafted and it seems so simple and is so complex at the same time mm. and growing up what was the soundtrack to your growing up your teenage years in terms of like music but also just sounds that were important to you at that stage I mean, my development musically is very, very eclectic and varied. I think that's partly because of my dad, who is also a very eclectic musician who's been involved in the sort of fringes of contemporary classical music as well as, like, working with massive pop giants. I think definitely my sort of attitude is kind of evolved as a result of being my father's son and also... Um, uh, I'm also very influenced by somebody who I I worked in a records shop when I was um, about 17 for about two years, a classical vinyl record shop. And uh, uh, it sort of had all the contemporary music sort of picks of the day as well. Like this is all sort of classical music, though, like avant-garde stuff as well and like 19th century and before. And um, the guy, the, the stockist guy who worked there, who chose what, what stock we had had absolutely absolutely like open ears to anything so he would just receive a bunch of cds and then just put one of them on randomly and it could be like a 30 minute drone track of just a guitar getting gradually louder playing one chord which i can remember once he was he was like sobbing like saying he was, was the most beautiful thing he's ever heard or like the new saturday's record or like some like Lacan Man performance, uh, performance of some opera. Uh, like uh, I remember, like Super Bass came out whilst when I uh, when I was working there, and he, he, was, he was like loving that as well. It was just like, I mean, like of course, when someone says eclectic, they obviously mean within the very small parameters within that, that they're actually exposed to. But I find him a very in inspiring presence as well, just in terms of being able to get something from lots of types of music and also being more aware of like seeing someone who's that open to music just made it very clear to me that any kind of snobbery that I felt about music was actually just an expression of social anxiety and it made it very clear that for most people music's a lot about tribalism and kind of cultural association rather than the kind of like actual experience they have whilst listening to it not that those two things are unrelated obviously like um sort of feeling like you're with your gang can like very much kind of uh holistically enhance your experience but for me that was very it was just very eye-opening just to sort of like 
think about music as one big thing rather than all these sort of sort of like cordoned off areas and like cultural spheres or whatever Mm. and that unity is like massively present in the kind of hardcore community um was it through the record shop that you discovered that side of music um i gradually discovered the kind of this rave stuff that i've always been interested in um it had a strange sort of cultural position when i was very young because rave had already reached its kind of cultural peak which is arguably in the 90s now like that's not a very good definition of a peak though but i meant like it's sort of it's big moment in the public eye when like prodigy was in the charts rave was a big political cultural statement that was being demonized in some sort of in the sort of political sphere the drugs element were being focused upon and then because it became more popularized when i was growing up it was actually i was only hearing it through like the charts or like as a kind of joke thing in like kevin and perry go large or even like even jez and peep show is like a kind of representation of this kind of joke status that rave had sort of um kind of achieved uh because because of like associations with it and and just like the fact that they kind of like overall sort of as i said like peak sort of meaningful peak of it as a sort of political statement had sort of had been made what i didn't really realize was that a lot of the music that i was listening to was from this same period this music that i was listening to and finding very important i just wasn't really researching it properly and um the more I researched, the more I realised I was particularly interested in this period of rave music that was kind of in the noughties, that was um, known as UK hardcore, um, pioneered by people like Scott Brown, Darren Styles, Force and Styles, Reason Styles, Hixie, Dougal, all that lot in the north of England, um, using these kind of like very euphoric and trance-influenced vocals and 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 patterns. Um, my relationship with this music is entirely as a headphone listener. It's not at all going out. I was like a total nerd just in my room listening to this stuff. But I just absolutely loved it and was just completely obsessed. Um, yeah, uh, I think I think the song Taking Drugs by Scott Brown was my... Uh, dare I say, gateway into the whole thing. Um, his uh, sort of synth riff in that is one of the most beautiful kind of constructions I've heard in music and really represents his very unique take on melody and harmony and sound. Um, it's like anybody who's a fan of what I do will hear what I like in the music of Scott Brown. I did a retrospective on him, like just like listening to everything he's ever done recently, and I just really thought like this this guy really is on my wavelength. He really likes the same things in music that I like, um, and yeah. So it was like yeah, his music was a big part of the whole thing. Um, one could see my my father's from Newcastle, and we often went to Newcastle to see my uh, grandparents, and I remember seeing uh, advert for I think it was like Clubland like a hardcore clubland kind of compilation on TV. And my brother pointed out to me, like the further north you go in the UK, the music gets 
louder and faster and i really really like that idea so i that was a kind of like early kind of uh spark of interest at the very least mm. um yeah so that was the sort of my earliest experience of the whole thing but as i said as if you're a nerd and you spend a lot of time in your room you have to kind of develop your own like world you 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 develop your own kind of um sort of inner world of of things the culture you get interested in is more about escaping into into things from like escaping away from reality into these kind of like uh sort of imaginary worlds basically um you can see this in nearly all of nerd culture it's all about escape it's not about confronting reality it's about not confronting reality mm-hmm. and for me this music really helped that element of things it really like i found it very evocative and like get, it got me to this kind of like yeah euphoric experience like the fastest of any music i've heard and like in my whole sort of musical my my goal musically is to achieve euphoria specifically this kind of melancholic euphoria and rave music is one of the things that can like get me there the fastest it's like uh kind of the fast food or sweets of euphoria that's how it's sort of like in terms of the, the the experience of it it's uh uh and this is spoken from somebody who's a big fan of fast food and sweets as it were um when i say rave music i'm referring to this specific uh type of rave music that i listen to i'm not referring to the incredibly large and varied kind of tradition of it um the uh uh yeah i have like other ways of listening to music like when i listen to a piece of classical music i am much more engaged with listening to the sound and i am much more patient with it i'm not waiting to like be instantly transcended like i am with you like euphoric rave music Mm -hmm. um with pop music obviously i'm giving it a bit more time as well and i can like these styles of listening inform my different ways of writing music as well so that sort of um is my kind of like that's as close as i get to kind of genres like Mm -hmm. writing for these different styles of listening because these different styles of listening really suit different environments as well all right i feel like we've got a good um portrait of you as a listener and also can i just say i love that peep show has finally been mentioned on this podcast which i have contributed to for a number of years and yeah this is a big day for me so let's talk about you on the other side, you know, creating music, not just a listener anymore. What was your first experience of generating your own music? I made a lot of music when I was younger. Um, often there'd be like a thing that I thought sounded really good, but then that I would hide some kind of jokey element over the top of because I was too shy to actually like, or too unconfident to sort of properly present the thing. And mm. I think that's the case with lots of people when they supposedly are joking or being ironic, they're actually just testing the waters for something they're actually very serious about. Um, And I think that's what I was doing a lot of the time. Um, uh, And then I gradually became more and more confident in myself. And I kind of got a bit lost in technique at one point, thinking that some, for some stupid, can I swear on this thing? Yes, you may. Some stupid fucking reason that, (laughs) technique or like music that was well executed technically that 
the executing music well technically had any bearing on the music being good, which mm. is absolutely not true. Um, it can help, but loads of music that's not executed well is really good. Like, technique is a thing that helps you like be consistent. Like, if you want to make music your your career or whatever, you have the ability to make something sound. You'll know how to make something sound good in that sense. But the main thing is just like if the feeling is there for me and it took me a very very long time to work that out um that music's not actually about music it's just about the feelings mm. <laughs> um so when did you kind of meet ag cook and join the pc music family and that you know from what you've described you were quite shy and mostly interacting with music in your room so was that quite a big jump to suddenly be part of a collective um i was pretty confident at that stage okay you'd glowed uh, up knew, by then yeah exactly i already knew him from school and then we sort of uh, reunited at university and we started making music together as the sort of like thinking of this name ducks content as a kind of group idea then uh i i, I sort of uh got a phone call one day um and it turned out that uh, he'd uploaded one of my tracks to SoundCloud. Not only had he done that, it had also been played on Radio 1, being discovered by uh, Claire Fifi. And so all these things sort of happened in tandem, really. And I think it was, I think she said, like, the crew is PC music at that stage. It was, it was all so sort of early on at that, like, it, it wasn't even developed enough to sort of be a thing at that point. But I think it was Claire saying it on on the radio that sort of like kind of was the sort of genesis point um and uh then yeah it was it, it, it sort of kind of started from there but um yeah no me and ag just had a, v a very kind of uh compatible attitude to things and our minds kind of slotted together very well because I'm quite sort of animalistic in the moment, like tunnel vision, focusing on music. And he's very like macro and like sort of very culturally aware and kind of plugged into lots of things at once and like very visual. And I, so I would just be like focusing in on this one thing and he'd be like thinking about like all the other things as well at the same time. And so that sort of, yeah, that, that was a, a fantastic sort of like uh, kind of, an, an inspirational sort of time. Mm. And do you remember your kind of intentions with doing music around that time and did hearing your record on the radio make you think, ooh, I could actually go somewhere with this? Uh, it was around, that was around the time I was like coming to the end of a composition, a master's degree in composition at Guildhall and like classical composition and it was the point at which i realized this music that i've always made for my own personal pleasure is actually and the, and the, and this music that i thought was previously my hobby is actually my main career and the music that i thought was my main career is actually my hobby which is like my classical mm -hmm. stuff um and that people want to hear the stuff that i write for myself in a personal way because that's the thing that communicates the fact that i personally like love it it's just like that Quincy Jones quote, if something really turns you on, there's a chance that it'll turn someone else on too. And that's kind of like, turns out that's the, that's the sort of rule for me. It's like, if I really, really like a track of mine and I put it out, then it's most likely 
that's then it's sort of yeah it increases the chances that someone else will like it i'm unable to write music in this way that lots of other very talented producers do where they know it's in a style that will be popular and that they can sort of put it out there i i need to be like personally like in love with the song to put it out Mm. oh that's a nice way to approach it um so We've kind of gone through a bit of a history of, you know, your journey so far, but I'd like to focus a bit more on your parties. Everyone's missing parties right now. Um, Perhaps you could take us back to the early days of the hardcore party and maybe share with us any moments that really stand out to you from that era. Mm. So the hardcore party started as, uh, I think, what is commonly described as a sweat box in the the uh what do you call it the three crowns pub whatever it's called the waiting room mm-hmm. um and that was that happened because uh ross hudson mohawk was in london and we thought we could play some of the music we've been making in a venue um and uh we sort of sorted it all out on the day and i was just thinking of a name for the night because me and Ross had been making music for a bit at that point um, in this kind of like style also influenced by these artists like Scott Brown, these sort of like um, UK hardcore artists. And uh, there was so there was quite sort of a variation of style within this kind of umbrella of, of, of rave music that I was sort of enjoying. And I just thought like, well, the the thing that unites all of these different t- types of rave music that 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 I like is the fact that I like them. So so hardcore kind of made sense as a name for that night. <clears throat> and yeah, I just had not heard any music like that played in, in a club in London at any point. So it's that very 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 simple um, reason why lots of nights start, which is that. that you just can't go anywhere to hear the music you want to hear and um it kind of spiraled out of control from there because then we did it again a few times in london did it in new york did a massive warehouse party in la then we went all over europe and it was always and I, i think the crowds that come to see it they always had the same vibe it always had the same kind of like like quest for euphoria there was there's a sort of shared goal amongst everyone at these nights what i found in america though is that i in the early days of hardcore couldn't find enough artists that perform that kind of thing to perform at these nights so i had to invent some um these characters kind of like sort of conjured between me and other people so from out of nowhere came DJ Ocean through sort of me and Caroline Politech having very little, very few words shared, but just the creation of the music and the name just came from somewhere and just sort of, it all just made sense. Like uh, I work with her quite a lot and we very, we don't really have to talk about much. We just sort of just make the stuff. And, uh, and there was DJ Ocean somewhere between me and Caroline. And then, so DJ Ocean performed at uh, Hardcore New York. We also had the very elusive DJ Fuck perform at that one, which is uh, which was a great honour. Is that you as well? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, it's Sam Rolfs. Oh, that's Sam Rolfs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> new metal turntablism. Um, so taking the party to the US and sort of finding those, in a way, you know, the same crowd that were on that quest for euphoria. Do you think that helped you kind of establish yourself in the US in terms of then going on to produce for like major pop stars like Carly Rae Jepsen? No, I think my identity is complete uh, fuck fest confusion for most people. Uh, I think uh, if the the thing that helps compartmentalize it, I think, is the uh, fact that this this whole project is kind of confined to this club, this club hardcore. That's where mm-hmm. it all lives. And I'm still Danielle Hall, and I make yeah. pop music. I make mu- I make all kinds of music, but there is this kind of the club thing. And inside the club, there are these four DJs. And so it's sort of like a nice sort of separate thing where this music lives and is being performed 24 hours a day. <laughs> and that, for me, feels like a nice separation. So if somebody likes one of my pop tracks and then goes to my socials, they won't just be confronted by an endless torrent of rave stuff. They will get a sense of me as a, a sort of artist who makes a, a lot of different stuff. So it, 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 it's, it's, it helps in that respect as well. It, it helps me as a kind of like a place to put this music. Mm. And so do you approach, you know, producing for pop stars that are already established and already have their own thing going on differently to the way you approach your own music? Um. Yes and no. Um, I can only write stuff that I really like. <laughs> and I found out very gradually over my career that I can only really work with artists who really like what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, of course, like collaborate with artists, but I can only make my kind of thing. Um, and so if they don't want my sort of thing on the record, it's just like they're working with the wrong person. I, I, I'm i not versatile, I think is the uh, word <laughs> that I'm looking for. Um, it's as simple as that. And now I'm in the very privileged position to have people come to me wanting to kind of like work with me because I've made my statement of like what it is that I like. And from the, the, the nature of the people that, ask to work with me is makes me very happy about the statement that I've made because it means that I've made it clearly and that people want to collaborate with me sort of in in a way that kind of uh, feels natural and like Mm. is often out of a shared interest musically which is a great space to have reached yes and it, it took a long time to get here and yeah. a lot of uh, lot of misunderstandings <laughs> on the way. Is there a time where you've been a bit um, unsure about getting in the studio with someone and it's actually charmingly worked out? My first session with Caroline was was out on a limb, really. Caroline Polacek, who's an artist I've worked a lot with. Um, because we were from very, very different worlds and... Uh, in, in a sort of classic me style way the thing that I liked about the, the reason I asked to work with her is because I just liked a particular melody in a particular song of hers um, and it was like it was a melody in a song rather than just like 
like because that's sort of how I listen I don't really listen to albums or anything like that and I when I listen to a song I kind of like focus in on the thing that I like in the song as well so it's like Mm. it was so specific and kind of like could have been anything I didn't even check to make sure that she wrote that melody or anything um but then when we sort of met up and talked about it and then tried making a song it turned out we just had a, a a a real kind of artistic chemistry um in terms of what we want to hear um that she did write that melody and like was capable of writing many more it's it turns out and is an incredibly talented producer and singer and like artistic mind as a thing mm. um that was on paper a total sort of random encounter of risk like yeah I, i'm not sure a label would have set that up <laughs> but it happened outside of anything like that um and yeah it went really well and you guys have worked together for since then yes okay let's talk about your new album hardcore um and it is coming out on mad decent have you released with them before no why did you feel like they would be a good fit for this record I think it's quite clear why they're a good fix that they have that kind of like openness to avant-garde sort of ideas mixed with a kind of playful attitude to dance music and that for me it was a kind of no-brainer a particular person called Paul Devro from Mad Decent sort of just appeared to really embrace the whole hardcore idea like from a very early stage and it just seemed like a great fit and these tracks that feature um are these things that you've been working on over a number of years or are they recent so the album is very much the music of hardcore the night it is the music of hardcore so it it these songs i i often wrote like before i went on stage to do a performance at one of these nights. And before this album came out, the only place you could really hear it is either at one of these nights or at a recording someone's done on their phone of one of these nights. So it is quite a like kind of authentic record of these this real culture that was happening. I think that's really special, especially seeing as we can't really go to those nights right now in pandemic times. Um, everyone who got the chance to visit is going to be have just an affinity to listening to these at home. Um, yeah, I would love to hear about the way you kind of imagine your audience taking in your music at this point. And, you know, is that a factor that encouraged you to create this virtual universe and bring club hardcore online um from a slightly kind of uh i guess it just sounds a bit self-obsessed but i I was more concerned with just like correctly expressing it than the audience receiving it i have no understanding of how people receive my stuff or anything in all all honesty (laughs) it's just um I just needed to make sure it was done properly. I just, I I wasn't able to bear the thought of all these songs just being uploaded to DSPs and then that's it. Um, That felt like an inappropriate way of presenting it. The concept 
kind of dawned on me and the massive kind of scale of it became clear and I was kind of like almost dreading going about it initially because I just realized how big a project it was from what was initially just like oh yeah let's why don't we just upload these tracks online to like oh my god this is like <laughs> I've never even heard of an album project of this scale um yeah so the only way of sort of uh, uh that I considered the audience reception to it is for me to have been my own audience for it for the project for me to sort of understand that I've expressed it in the clearest way that I can and therefore hopefully something will be communicated mm. I feel like we really need to lay out the extent of the kind of world that you've built around this album so please tell everyone all about the virtual club okay so club Halcor is a multi-room nightclub populated by four DJs and a crowd of ravers. Each DJ has their own room in the club and their own very particular style of music. As you go into the club, you see DJ Danny in his euphoria stadium. And this is a large stadium inside the club with screens and fireworks and lasers. And it's a blinding white light in that room. And the music sounds the way you feel. <laughs> now, if you go one floor up in what appears to be the air conditioning system, you're not on the ceiling, you're in the floor before the ceiling. Mm -hmm. You'll find this inflated dome kind of structure that you can go inside and inside there there's a little blue man with a big smile and a pair of headphones on and he bounces around the room and he raps incredibly fast in the machina style um machina is type of music developed in the north of england by lots of incredible mcs um i've put together various playlists of that music to show where this music comes from um this man is called MC Boing, and he bounces all day, night, all day, night, all day, night. Uh, yeah. MC Boing, bouncing all night. Everybody here is safe and nice. Makes me want to have a great life. Angels singing basses tight, he says. So, after you've been in that room for a bit, experience that energy, you go downstairs to the basement where the lights go red. It's a very kind of violent atmosphere. And the ravers kind of look a bit different as well. They look like they're kind of fragmented kind of versions of themselves. And in that room, you see DJ Mayhem, who is some kind of mutated wolf with, with, with what appears to be a mutated hammer of sorts um, that's known as the Scalper. DJ Mayhem smashes the ground with the hammer at a rhythm that sounds almost like music. And the kind of like beast-like energy of the room kind of makes you confront your own beast inside you. And uh, sort of uh, the kind of uh, beast within. Um, and that can be a bit too much for some people. So they sometimes uh, 
wake up on the ceiling of Club Hardcore in the kind of healing bioluminescent forest where DJ Ocean sings to them and heals them from within but it also sounds like the music's coming from above them as well and at that point that is your moment of true transcendence into the euphoric plane once you have truly confronted yourself from within and lost yourself DJ Ocean helps you find yourself again and then you wake up in DJ Danae Stadium and do it all again (laughs) for 24 hours I love the characters um, and I love the attention to detail Um, did you work with the you know because some of them like you mentioned DJ Ocean and DJ Mayhem are we allowed to say who that is also with yeah yeah, it's a collaboration with Ross Hudson Mohawk Mm mm-hmm did you work together to kind of create the backstory behind the characters or was that a you thing? That was more on my end of things, but that it could not have been made without Ross. It's Ross is like a big influence. I mean, was a, Ross was a production hero and continues to be of mine. Um, and it's been an absolute honour to work with him. DJ Mayhem was actually a name used before this project by Ross when he did his kind of like hardcore shows and he very generously allowed me to use it for this project because it just felt right as well as a thing um so as much as I'm behind the backstory it couldn't have happened without him Mm. and is that the same sort of thing I know DJ Ocean was kind of like a longer existing project, but in the context of this virtual club, was it more of a collaboration or you this time? All pretty much the same. DJ Danny's arguably a thing that's existed just um, without a name for a while. Also, because you mentioned the Machina style, um, maybe we should just have a little detour and talk about that. Do you know when the first time that you kind of came into contact with that was? Let's see. Yeah, probably a track called... <sighs> yeah, let me think. Is there a particular track? I was just sort of exposed at, at a similar time because when I started to be specifically into people like Scott Brown... I would look up a live set of his and then I would see this person, MC Finchy, on the top of it. And then I'd listen to what that sounded like. And it just sounded like nothing I've ever heard before because it, it, it's a real expression of the fact that like a lot of rap music in the UK doesn't come from hip-hop in America. It comes from people rapping over dance music, which is obviously the orig- origins of... like like lots of garage stuff that happens in jungle happens in grime it, it's people rapping over dance music not over kind of like r&b music and this is a similar thing but in a very different way and it's this specific like subgenre of music in the uk is, is is something that has existed for a while but has never really had a spotlight shone on it and it is music with fantastic artistry behind it and it's a, it's a style of rapping and also a style of music which is just endlessly fascinating to me um and there are incredible artists of it existing right now making music right now 
Um, and yeah, I would say, yeah, it was maybe see, hearing like MC Finchy uh, rapping over Scott Brown's live show. But there's, yeah, Jason Brown, MC Corky, MC Mental, MC Immense. Just like so many. It's, 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 it's quite, a, quite an amazing thing to hear. Um, sort of eagle-eared fans of my work will hear uh, that in, I think, my fader mix, I put in a large segment of uh, the Masters of the Northern Sound um, into that, which I think is Jason Brown, MC Steel on there. Um, it's an amazing, yeah. I've, for as long as I've known about it, I've I've absolutely loved it. And DJ Movin is my favourite Machina producer. Well, there we go. There's plenty of artists that Danny's tipped for you there. So if you want to go and dive into that genre more. Um, so back to the virtual club. Have you had experience of constructing anything like this before? And let's talk about the actual creation how did you get those ideas from your mind onto the screen very painstakingly um (laughs) the concept came way before any kind of visual element um and thinking about the way in which it could all fit together was a big challenge and uh as people who buy the vinyl will see there is the, the building makes sense down to a sort of architectural diagram point of view but also just like the placement in the building isn't just to make sense architecturally. It has to make sense conceptually in terms of the way that it all works with respect to that. So yeah, it, it took a long time, but it's ended up sort of perfectly. Mm. It's ended up in its perfect state. And did you work with video artists to create the rooms? Um, I worked a bit with uh, Lucas at Not Real Virtual to kind of like make some micro decisions about how some of the models would be put together and and that sort of thing. But it kind of just took on a life of its own, really. And it's almost like it was telling us how to build it after a while. And when you personally access the the virtual club yourself... um, how does it make you feel traveling through the rooms it's yeah it's everything i ever dreamed of brought to life yeah. on screen yeah it's it's more than i could have wanted from this project it's just like it's exactly what i wanted to say and i just hope that yeah that my my yeah my dream is for it to be for, for other people to experience it and to feel like they they're not alone in having felt the same thing I think that's really special. Well, Danny, thanks so much for bringing us behind the scenes of Club Hardcore. And um, I really do hope that people enjoy it the way that you do. I hope the music sounds the way you feel. Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Danny L. Hall. There is also a video version of this episode available on RA's YouTube. We'll be back with a new podcast episode for you next week. Until then, our full archive is available for you to take in. And if you find something you love, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts as it helps get our stories to more ears. <laughs>